Well, welcome to episode three of Throwing Haymakers, your favorite hockey podcast, hosted by Brandon Higley, Blair, Josh Erickson, and Matt Sheridan. And we got some big news out of Arizona to hit you with right out of the gate. Uh, General Manager John Chaka has been relieved of his duties. Uh, he he resigned. He stepped down. Yes, yeah, he has stepped down from his job with the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, as general manager, and it's come out that there was a little, potentially a little bit of tampering going on there. We're not entirely sure, but Sheka just signed a an extension with the Coyotes organization, asked the new owner to have a conversation with a different team, and um, that was under the conditions or under the impression that this meeting was not an interview of any kind. It was just a form, like a formal meeting to extend his hockey connections and his knowledge of the game. We find out after he has stepped down that the, it was, it was really an interview. The, the meeting was not just a meeting. It was an, in fact, an interview and he was offered a position. It is, at this point, he has not accepted a position with any other franchise, uh, but it clearly rubbed people the wrong way uh, in the Coyotes organization. So, Josh, uh, we'll start with you. I want to get your thoughts on the painful breakup between the Arizona Coyotes and John Chaka. Yeah, painful breakup, ugly divorce, whatever you want to call it. Uh, yeah, looking at this in a bigger picture, it really sucks for a team that has just never really been able to get its footing. When they hired this guy, that was going to be the turning point. This was going to be the Coyotes are going to be a real team now. They've got good ownership. They've got good front office people. They've got a promising young guy. Now, as GM, he was hired when he was 27, I think, youngest ever. Not just youngest and in he, NHL, youngest in pro sports. Yeah, geez. Uh and he's going to come in and be the analytics GM. And there really was a lot riding on him to make this work. So really what he did, instead of playing money ball, is play reverse money ball. Instead of, you know, a kind of money-strapped Arizona team ending up with a bunch of cheap quality, they end up with a lot of overpaid oatmeal. Uh, and man, it does not look good for an organization that's had a lot of business front office turmoil in the past. Uh, I really like what they've done uh, hiring, I can't pronounce his last name, Alex Meruelo as the owner and uh, Javier Gutierrez, again in that role, uh, doing great things, not only for diversity in the sport, but getting real solid ownership in there. But man, uh, you kind of don't know who to believe in a situation like this. Uh, you know, everyone's heard different stories. The story I heard was that uh, Chaika had requested permission to uh, seek a non-hockey job. You know, that is what I had heard that he had told the team. And then, of course, the Coyotes are going to go, well, sure, we'll give him permission. What guy is going to leave as an NHL GM for a non-hockey job? They just didn't believe that that would ever be the case and then as it turns out they get a call from another NHL team asking to hire him. So I, I figure there was maybe a little 
what he told on Shaika's part, but of course that's all speculation. Uh, I mean, you look at what he's done. Is the team really any better off than they were when they hired him? I don't think so. You look at a, you know, I think one of his first drafts was 2017. Was that Shaika? 26. He was hired in 2016 uh, in May. Yeah. So the tw- okay, so that yeah, the Barrett Hayton draft, uh, when Vancouver I believe took Quinn Hughes with the next pick. Uh, I'm gonna look that up to make sure I'm not talking completely at a uh, turn here, but you know it's things like that where you know Hayton's gonna be a good player for them. I mean he's shown some good things. That was 2018, not 2017, sorry. But yeah. Uh, Barrett Hayton, and then Hughes two picks later to Vancouver. Zadina right after that. Uh, and I get a lot of teams weren't so high on Zadina for whatever reason. Uh, but man, especially with how Oliver Ekman Larson is starting to look this year, uh, you really could have used a young guy like Quinn Hughes now because the mission when they hired Chica was not, you know, get some more mediocre guys coming here to, you know, maybe have a shot at it later. The Coyotes needed to be good then when they uh, – he's provided them with really solid goaltending, making those Ronta and Kemper trades that Arizona probably is the best goaltending in the league. But that's about it. Um, you know, that Jalmerson contract, say what you want, about his defensive prowess, but I, I can't get behind $5 million a year for him. Uh, and then, you know, step on Christian Dvorak, Clayton Keller. You know, they're names that you don't hate, but they're also being used way too much for who they are. Uh, and the fit just isn't there. A lot of just mediocre talent. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess it's best for both parties, as much as Arizona liked him and wanted to put faith in him, I guess maybe it's for the best that he's not there anymore. And maybe they're going to get a guy now here in Steve Sullivan or somebody else if they choose to go that route. Uh, but it was as the ownership of before this all happened, it was clear to me that it was working out, but he wasn't making the deals that uh We'll see what he does, get it back elsewhere. Uh, ugly week for that team, ugly week for him. And now I'd have to be cautious if I'm another NHL team, right, trying to hire this guy because you don't know what went on. And maybe he really did, like, comply to this guy's face in Arizona. That's still all speculation, you know. But, man, you know, th- that's got to be a red flag for me if I'm trying to hire him. Absolutely. And during his time with the Arizona Coyotes, they had a lot of high draft picks and a lot of new faces, a lot of young faces coming into the organization. And the roster looks totally different than when he first came in. Um, And I also want to point out that they have a big name free agent coming up in Taylor Hall, who is expected to command quite a bit of money on the open market this offseason, potentially on the same level as Artemi Panarin last year. Uh, and if we look at a rumor that came out over the last uh, last few hours that as we were recording this, 
not only was Chaka not uh, present during these conversations with Taylor Hall about a potential extension, but the Coyotes have reportedly, now like I say, this is a rumor, this is nothing official, but are rumored to have reportedly offered a five-year deal worth $7.25 million. And that is obviously nowhere near what he will be looking for if he hits the open market, but it could also be tough to re-sign him with the cap situation that we're looking at going into the offseason. I mean, for me, I look at his, his tenure in Arizona, and it's just – it raises a lot of questions for me, starting off with drafting Clayton Keller. I mean, he did have a lot of promise and everything. I mean, looking back on it, I don't think he deserved an eight, eight-year, $64 million contract to be on uh, their third-line right wing right now. Yeah, oof. He passed on a lot of good talent, and then although he did not draft Dylan, Dylan Strome with the third overall pick – he, I don't think he handled it really well. I mean, he still had potential when he was young. He just, they rushed him to the NHL and he didn't really produce. And then here they are trading him when he still has potential. I just, I think they traded him too early. They rid him off. They wrote him off too early. And then they got, he got traded to Chicago. And I mean, he's still not a, a third overall pick talent wise, but he still turned into a pretty solid player in my opinion. And then you look at what he did recently with the whole, whole fiasco of the fitness testing with the OHL players and everything and what went on with that and how the scandal of Arizona was the only team who actually was able to get some results ahead of the draft, which was huge, especially with this pandemic and everything that's going on. There's no teams that are able to go there and uh, test the players, but I just, I didn't like that either. I, that's che- pretty much cheating on Arizona's part to go and test players under, under the table, but I just, everything about him, there are positives for, for sure, like you said, bringing in goalies and trying to help the team with the trade of Paul and bringing guys like Stefan and Schmaltz and re-signing um, Oliver Ekman-Larsen. But to me, just the way he handled it and then going out and saying he wanted a non-hockey job and then going out and potentially interviewing for a position that he couldn't quote, a position that he couldn't resist was sketchy. So I just... I think it's it's a good it's a good thing to for Arizona to distance themselves from him, um, turn the page and start over again. Yeah, uh, and I mean going back to that, I that's I hadn't heard that uh, Taylor Hall rumor yet. That's new to me. Uh, man, if he takes that deal, it's got to be with a top five team in the league. I think he would take that deal if it was with, with a top five team in the league. He's gone on record pretty much, you know for the past couple months and saying I'm tired of losing and I want to put myself in a position to win. If there's a guy that's going to take a massive pay cut this off season, I think it's most likely to be Taylor Hall. Uh, he's not taking that contract to stay in Arizona. If he's staying in Arizona, he needs Panarin money. Like Brandon said earlier. Uh, and I don't, a think they can do that under the cap and B I don't think they can afford it. And again, the fit wasn't really there. So now you're risking having, I mean, Hall played okay, but it, you know, it wasn't great. It wasn't MVP caliber like he has been in the past. Um, and if you decide to sink a bunch of money into this guy who's had, albeit a small sample size with your team, but hasn't performed up to his, you know, precedent, that's a really risky move. Uh, so 
I think it is best that Arizona and Hall have a parting of ways. I don't, I think Hall would be much better suited and maybe get some of his form back if he's able to go to a, a St. Louis or Colorado or a team that's real, especially Colorado because they have the cap space, you know, sitting over there with $22 million to spend this off season. Uh, so yeah, I guess it's, I had completely forgot about that whole uh, draft, the, the player testing thing. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, that is just, you know, I kind of hate to play this card here, but, you know, the guy was the youngest GM in pro sports, as Brandon said earlier. And you have to wonder if some of this maybe wasn't an experience. Like, I don't know how to deal with this situation because I've never been in it before. And maybe because I am 30 years old and really not, seasoned in NHL front offices I don't feel like I can tell my owner that I want to search for a job somewhere else and so I'm gonna lie to him instead to get out of it like that that just seems like literally a rookie mistake uh and you have to wonder if his age played a factor into it and that's the first time I've said anything about that like Chica. I really wanted to like him for the longest time because I did think he had a lot of guts and a lot of promise and a lot of skill. I mean, it's not like they hired him for nothing at age 27. Uh, that man, you have to wonder if age didn't play a factor here in him, maybe not having the best decision-making skills developed for an NHL level job. And here's another thing for me at least is that if you want out of Arizona, you know, I can totally understand that. It's, it's an organization that has struggled for years and years and years. But if these rumors that are coming out about the conversations that he had with ownership are true, why did you sign that extension in the first place? Because he just signed it, you know, recently. So you had an opportunity. Right. You could have left and taken another job somewhere else. Uh, and instead you waited to sign an extension with the team you're currently with. And now you're saying – you know, just, a, you know, a short while later, oh, I want out, I want out, you know, I'm, I'm going to go look at this other job, this other organization. So that is a very questionable move to me, and I'm not sure I would even consider hiring Jake if I was another team. Yeah, but I mean, that's a, you know, what 29-year-old isn't going to take millions of dollars that got put right in front of it? Uh, so, I mean, I guess, you know, this is a sure thing right here, this extension that's getting put in front of him. So he's going to take that, you know, and, you know, that decision-making again, because he's so young and in a very high pressure role, you can say what you want about his hockey smarts and his hockey IQ and what he did with Statleets, his, you know, analytics website that I believe he started with his sister, Megan. Uh, you know, he's a smart guy. I'm not denying that, but there are some guys, just like there are some players who can't take the, you know, guys like uh, uh, Nick Patan, I'll take as an example, who have, you know, done great in the AHL and minor leagues and just never seem to really make it work at the NHL. You kind of got to wonder if John Shaika isn't maybe the management equivalent of that. He's a really smart guy, but just the pressure and business that has to come with, you know, being a GM of an NHL team. It's not an easy thing to do. Uh, and even if you are smart and have maybe the mental set for it, 
and scouting and all that, you got to be able to deal with the pressure and everything that has come out, you know, suggests maybe it wasn't entirely performance related, that it's more, he's just not fit. And just a quick question. Um, with the rumor that the NHL team that he interviewed with, with the New Jersey Devils, they're not a team that's on the uprise either. I mean, they struggled out this, they struggled this season and everything. Do you think from a talent perspective, he chooses to leave based on the potential of New Jersey being a better team faster than the Arizona Coyotes? That wouldn't entirely surprise me. I mean, I think it's definitely a very real possibility. You've got a couple of young stars in the making, especially with, uh, you know, former or this past year's first overall pick in Jack Hughes. And then you've got Nico Hishier over there as well. I mean, and another first overall pick. And while he hasn't quite panned out the way they hoped him to be, he still has plenty of time to develop his game. And then in the defensive end, you've also just got P.K. Subban. And although he had an awful year this year, I mean, we're still talking about an all-star caliber player. It's not like you can just take him with a grain of salt. So, I mean, I'm sure he has an opportunity to bounce back next year. Um, Damon Severson cannot be underrated either. Uh, not a bad defenseman. And Mackenzie Blackwood didn't look off uh, too bad this year. So there's some potential there. Corey Schneider's time with the Devils is basically over. Um, but I think this roster definitely has some potential and uh, some young stars in the, in the making. Right. It, Shika to New Jersey is a really interesting thought. I, I wouldn't hate it if New Jersey brought him in for their analytics department. Cool. I'd be fine with that. That's where he excels. Uh, but I think they definitely made the right choice uh, by sticking with Tom Fitzgerald uh, because this is going to be another really crucial offseason for them. They're going to have a lot of space open again. And if they want to get good fast, they, you know, they're going to have Keisher and Palmieri on their top line, but who's with them? Hall isn't there anymore. I mean, you, you can throw Jesper Bratt, Miles Wood. I mean, none of those names inspire confidence. The Florida Panthers are going to have to let go of some guys this year. Uh, Mike Hoffman and Evgeny Dadanov are both free agents. And those are one of those two guys New Jersey is a prime candidate for. You could totally go after them and sign them to a deal in free agency, especially Mike Hoffman. Uh, and after all this has just come out with Shika, right? If New Jersey now goes and hires him, which they won't, they've got Fitzgerald, but if New Jersey now went out and hired him, that's going to impact the players' negotiation with the team because now you're negotiating with a guy who's got a shady reputation behind him and you don't know whether to trust him or not. Uh, so I – until there is more clarity about this, if it stays this way, Shrike is done as an NHL GM. Until there's more clarity about this situation, he's not going to be a general manager. He can go work for Seattle in their analytics department, sure. Uh, but, yeah, real tough situation. All right, so moving on from the Cheka conversation, uh, we do have a couple other things to talk about. And that first most important thing, Hockey is finally back. Uh, we've got some exhibition games that we've been able to watch, and we really got things kicked off with Pittsburgh and Philadelphia with the first exhibition match. Um, and I just want to start off by saying that Philadelphia penalty kill looks absolutely outstanding. Uh, 
they were, you know, when you consider the strength that that Pittsburgh offense has, that power play, all those talented forwards they have, Philadelphia penalty kill was absolutely dominant. They held onto the puck for probably about a minute straight uh, in, in one of those uh, penalty kills that they had over that game. What are your guys' thoughts on Philadelphia? Because I, the way they were playing in that first exhibition game, I could see them potentially going all the way this year. Yeah, I thought they were going to be the team that gets screwed over the most by all this. Uh, and I get it's exhibition, and they probably showed up a bit more because it was Battle of Pennsylvania. But they had not taken break at all. Um, the guy who really stood out to me, actually, for them was Travis Sanheim. Who I have not watched a bunch of, but he's a capable guy. Uh, and I know a lot of people were also kind of ratting on Philly for that uh, Gudis for Matt Niskanen trade, saying that Niskanen, you know, isn't who he once was, overpaid. Uh, no, Matt Niskanen is still a great defenseman. I will ride that train all day. Uh, Great acquisition by them. Certainly an upgrade on Gudis. Maybe not by much, because I think Gudis doesn't get enough love either. Yeah, Philly looks good. Uh, and everything's going to be so close. Uh, I'm not going to make any more calls. We already did our predictions episode, and that's you know about as predicty as I'm going to get with how much everything is just changing on a day-to-day basis. But yeah, uh, Matt, what were your thoughts just maybe on the general – viewing experience so far you know up here in Canada I didn't get to they didn't televise the Pittsburgh Philly game but from what I heard and saw from highlight watching highlights and stuff I think Philly had a great game they like you mentioned Brandon I saw their penalty kill and they looked great especially with guys that they have on the um, Pittsburgh has on their power play um I liked Scott Lawton the way he played I think he brings a, a valuable game to their bottom six I think he's a guy that has proven with their overtime winner. He's a guy that can go in there and pop one in for you when you need it. He can also win some faceoffs. And yeah, he's he's just a valuable guy. I mean, for me, with being a huge Maple Leafs fan, that's the game I kind of watched um, in its entirety. I wanted to see how Nick Robertson did in his first game and everything. I think he he looked great. I mean, I think some people on Twitter took it overboard and said um, got on the hype train too fast. I mean, it was. A secondary assist on uh, an exhibition goal, but he looked good with uh, playing with Kerfoot and Kapanen. Um I think the other thing I was surprised about surprised about was just Montreal just looked disinterested. I mean, looking at their like guys like Druin and Gallagher, they looked kind of lost out there. I mean, they had a few chances and everything, but just by watching them, I was just I was kind of shocked by not how bad they played, but just I just think Montreal lacked a bit of intensity, something that they can for sure pick up before they start um, their series against Pittsburgh. And then I would also like to add in that Connor McDavid is back. Yes, he is. He had two goals, right? Uh, I watched a li- I watched a little bit of that game. Yeah. Yeah, he had two goals. Pivot back to Toronto, though, man. I get its exhibition. Uh, I love Nick Robertson. Uh, and he's going to be really great for that team. Not right now. He was good. I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, I would rather focus on the return of Ilya Mikheyev, uh and just what he means to that team in terms of the depth he's able to bring and 
how well him and Tavares play together. They both make each other twice the player they were as separate parts. Um, but that is the best. That was the best game of Toronto Maple Leafs hockey I've seen in a very long time. Uh, I think you can tell that Keefe actually getting a training camp with these guys helped a lot instead of just hopping in midseason. And yeah, Montreal wasn't playing their best, but Toronto never once let their foot off the gas in that game. All that slow start stuff, giving up the first goal early. They scored the first goal early. Okay, at 30 seconds in, right back where he left off. Uh, Anderson, I get he only allowed two goals. He didn't look great to me. But if Toronto plays every game like that, they aren't going to need Anderson to absolutely stand on his head like they've needed him to perform. Uh, I never really saw Toronto have a big lapse. And I think Montreal had like one, two, or three on one. You're going to give up defensive opportunities. It's exhibition and it's the NHL. Uh, They just played a much sounder game. I was so impressed. Uh, Also, because the Matthews line wasn't that good. Uh, It's the first Leafs game I've watched in forever where I forgot Zach Hyman was on the team. He was, he's usually just, uh, what does Steve Dangle call him? A little honey badger. It's totally an accurate description of his game. And it just wasn't there. Didn't notice Matthews that much. Didn't notice Nylander. I'll chalk it up to its exhibition and they don't care. Uh, but Mikheyev obviously had something to prove getting back on the wagon. Uh, Kerfoot had a tough year and had a great game. Thought the fourth line was good too. Cody CC wasn't bad. That's a good thing, I guess. Uh, yeah, I had nothing to complain about from that game except for maybe Anderson. Uh, but yeah, totally excited to see what they can do against Columbus because where Toronto's going to run into issues is if they let their foot off the gas, which is what they have perpetually done ever since Mike Babcock was the coach of that team. And quite frankly, a lot longer before that, if you want to talk about 2013, Brandon. Uh, but yeah, it. I'm really excited to see where they go. It's the most confident I've been in them in a while, considering as soon as Montreal scored that 3-2 goal, I said Toronto's going to lose this game. And then they didn't. <laughs> I was full well expecting Toronto to get beat at least 6-5. That was, I think that was my internal prediction for that game. Uh, and no, they looked like a real hockey team. So I'm super excited to see what they can do against Columbus because the skill factor is obviously on Toronto's side. Yeah, I'm looking just, I was just going to about to mention what you just said. Just when Montreal scored that third goal, I was, I was like, oh God, they're going to, they're going to come back and win this game. But I was really impressed with the way Toronto um, played defense and shut them down and then added that uh, insurance marker with Morgan Riley scoring. I just, they looked like a real hockey team, like you said. And uh, I'm, if they can, if they can get that effort with Matthews and Nylander and Hyman rolling and CC playing subpar defense and being an all right defenseman, I think. <laughs> yeah. 
I Riley's back too. Man, he had a great game. He, I he might have been their best player all around in that game. I thought I was watch. I wasn't watching the second goal that closely. The first Kerfoot goal that was a shorty. I thought Riley had scored that goal. Uh, yeah, not worried at all. And that's the first time I can say that about that team in a really really long time. But also just the general viewing experience of these games. I don't mind any of it. You know, the crowd noise obviously needs a little bit of work in terms of the consistency and volume levels and whatnot, but that's what these games were for. Uh, I think they've done a great job blocking out the seats. Uh, those covers, whatever they are, look slick. I see a lot of people complaining about the camera angles. I won't. I like them, quite frankly. It's cool to get that extra view of the game, those drum shots. I like them. Uh, a lot of people who don't, but I'll, I'll take the opposite side on that. Um, those big screens they have in the back, you know, I just think they're great. And it looks like real hockey, too. Like, I don't, I don't really notice the fact that fans are gone. Uh, and maybe that's just because I'm so happy to have it back and have something to watch. But the NHL has absolutely done everything in their power to just knock it out of the park. And I cannot find one thing to complain about. I really can't. So looking at uh, Toronto's roster that they brought with them into the bubble, you've got two top defensive prospects in Rasmus Sandin and Timothy Lilligren. Um, do you guys think either one of them could potentially see some playing time if someone like Cody Cece uh, returns to the not-so-great form that we've seen them have in some of the past games this past season? I don't see them playing. I mean – if Cody Cece goes down with an injury or if any one of their D goes down with an injury, I personally think the seventh D-man or the guy that draws in is Martin Marinson. Although he's he's not the greatest defenseman, he's proven that he can go in there and play a solid game. He's capable of playing defense on some occasions. Uh, he's a steady uh, D partner out there for whoever he plays with. I don't see – if one of them were to get in, I think it'd be Rasmus Sandin just because – He's had more experience playing this season, and he looks like he's more ready for the NHL over Lilligren. But if it comes down to it, I don't think um, any of them play. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, if, if it's CeCe, you know, I think they'd sooner move Travis Dermott to the right side and replace him. Uh, yeah, I think the seventh guy's Marincin, in all honesty. He's probably Marty Marincin. He's probably the first like, guy that gets in because at least he can kill penalties. Uh, but Sandine, he's going to be so great for them. But he's going to be great. He's not great now. Uh, like the fact that they're both there for experience, but I I would feel uncomfortable putting him in a playoff situation. I know he got a bunch of games in this year, but he uh, – I saw the promise, but not the results. A uh, couple – he just never stood out to me one way or another, and that's, you know – it depends on the type of guy. If I'm watching, if I'm trying to watch like a Jonas Siegenthaler in Washington, I'm not looking for him to jump out at me. I'm looking to not notice him because he's not supposed to score. He's supposed to defend. Uh, but Sandine is supposed to be much more of a two-way offensively minded guy. I want to notice him. I want to notice a big defensive play from him. And I want to notice some good uh, generation there on the back end in terms of playmaking. Uh, and I never saw that. I saw the starts of it, which is promising. 
I don't think he's a bad pick at all where they got him. Um, but yeah, I would be uncomfortable putting him in playoff action. He's only going there as an injury replacement uh, if someone like Riley or Muzzin goes down. Another thing I wanted to touch base on is how good Connor Hellebuck looked last night. I mean, I was really excited to see um, Vancouver's offense and see if they could get it rolling with, and they certainly did. They they looked really good. Miller, Pedersen, Besser, Hughes, all those guys looked really good, but it was the play of Connor Hellebuck that caught my eye. I mean, for him, it's, I think they had like 38 shots and he saved 37 of them. He looked like unbeatable. I absolutely loved the way he played. I think he's going to really help when if, if Winnipeg stands a chance at beating Calgary, it's going to be definitely because of him. And I think his play last night is midseason form. And I think if he is able to play like that, maybe two or three of the games, then Winnipeg can win this series. Hellebuck is – he should win the Vezina this year. He has been by far and away the best goaltender in the league. And I, I will say I do love Tuka Rask, and I would love to see him win another one. But at the same time, it's Hellebuck's to lose this year. If it wasn't for his play in the crease – Winnipeg's not even sniffing the the qualifying round, much less uh, potentially making a run. So uh, it, it's really been Hellebuck's team this year, and he's been outstanding. Yeah, I, I, I only watched about half of that Vancouver-Winnipeg game last night. I was tired. Huh? But, yeah, completely concur. It was my reaction 90 seconds after turning the game on, is that Winnipeg is getting grossly outplayed in this game. And there's no way they're going to lose. Uh, you know, you can say what you want about Tucker Pullman and Dmitry Kulikov scoring in the same game for Winnipeg, right? But, uh, yeah, no, I don't think there's a chance that Calgary beats them, quite frankly. Uh, they were good enough. I was kind of impressed. Shifley was back. Wheeler was back. I liked those guys. I thought their offense was rolling. Uh, and Vancouver definitely had some issues with that defensively. I thought Vancouver was actually disappointing. Markstrom was fine, uh, but defensive structure was truly not good. Uh, and if they're going to try and play against a team like Minnesota, uh, it was great defensive structure. Vancouver did not spark a lot of confidence in me. As good as uh, their top two lines were, I didn't. I didn't think they got the goal. I think Antoine Roussel got the only goal. You know, yeah. great. Uh, well, and wasn't it later in the game too? Like it was kind of just a whatever. Yeah. It was like four minutes yeah. left or something. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Connor Hellebuck is the best goalie in the league right now. Uh, as much as I love Kemper and Rana in Arizona, Winnipeg's going to have a serious advantage over anyone right now with the way he's playing. Uh, totally agree with that take. So, hopefully he gets more name recognition here in the future because, man, he's had one heck of a season. Something else I want to talk about real quick is the intensity of some of these exhibition games because, as we've already discussed a little bit, you know, Montreal didn't look all that invested in – or some players on Montreal didn't look all that invested in their exhibition game versus Toronto. But then we had uh, the battle for Florida yeah. on day one between yeah. Tampa Bay and, and the Panthers. And we, we saw a fight break out in that one. So there's clearly yeah. some animosity building up between those two teams. And – uh it's an exhibition game. This doesn't count for anything. So is this uh, guys scrapping to try and, you know, show their coaches they belong on the rosters when the games really count? Or do we think there's really a lot of tension building up between these franchises? 
Uh, I think it was Boyle and Sergachev. Uh, Boyle is, he's jumped around a bunch, but what he brings to every team he plays for is absolute unbridled commitment and passion. Uh, and Florida had an incredibly disappointing game. Uh, I didn't even think Bobrovsky was that bad. The team in front of him was terrible. Uh, and Tampa was Tampa. Tampa was ready. Tampa was going. Tampa had Luke Shen score a goal, a name that I never thought I'd hear again. I hoped I'd never hear again as a Leafs fan. Uh, Wow, Florida was not ready at all. Uh, Makes me want to walk back my prediction that they beat the Islanders. They got to figure it out fast. and boy, that I think that was just frustration boiling over on Boyle's head because Florida didn't even have him at the beginning of the season. I don't think he had a contract. I think they signed him well into October, maybe November. Uh, so he's trying to let his teammates know he cares. And I think Sergachev got in his face a little bit, which was a mistake considering Boyle's like 6'6". Six, six. Uh, but yeah, I mean... I have my own thoughts on what the NHL should have done with fighting, uh, maybe to prevent COVID spread, but considering how secure they've kept everything, I don't think it's as much of an issue as I maybe thought in the first place. So I say, let them fight. Uh, haven't had any cases yet. And we've been there for almost a week now. Uh, so Yeah. It was. I turned that game off after that fight because you could just tell where it was going. And I, I've seen enough of Tampa. I, I didn't need to watch more of that. So. Yeah, I just another game that I think brought a lot of intensity was the Battle of New York. I think Brent. I, I don't remember who Brandon Lemieux fought, but that was the other fight. Um, oh yeah. He, he. Um, I think. I mean, he's being he's suspended for the first two games of uh, the series against the Hurricanes, but I think he, he brought the the intensity that. Uh, I think the Rangers needed to kind of wake up in that game and they made it a close one at the end. So I, 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 I liked what he did um, to kind of wake up his team. And I think that was something that was definitely um, needed for the Rangers. And I also wanted to talk about, I think we talked about it a bit earlier, but the Islanders defense looked absolutely amazing. Their stinginess on defense and their ability to just nonstop, just keep grinding away and, clearing out scoring chances was something that I really like to see. All right. So looking ahead at uh, our, the next thing we've got on our list, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the prospects in this year's upcoming draft, particularly Quentin Byfield and Stutzel. Um, both of them are top prospects, uh, high first round draft picks. And it's really just going to come down to who's going to get them because we all know that it's going to be a lot for near going at number one to some unknown team. Then you've got other franchises like Los Angeles and Detroit uh, and Ottawa who could be looking to snag one of them uh, in those top five picks or so. So, uh, Matt, you're our big prospect guy. What do you got to say about uh, the Byfield-Stutzel debate? Yeah, I mean, over the past few days, I've, I've really enjoyed reading some people's Twitter comments and coming in on their own opinions and who they think will go number two. But for me, I think Byfield is um, – far and away my second best prospect. I mean, Lafreniere is definitely the best. I He's definitely, for me, written in as the number one guy, but I really like the way Byfield plays. He's six foot four. 
He's, he has a late birthday. He's still 17. He still has room to grow in, in his game. Although he was injured in the playing for the Sudbury Wolves this past year, I thoroughly enjoyed watching him develop. He's a guy that can, he's a two-way center who can definitely, he's great on going into the corners, battling for the puck, going into the slot, banging home goals and everything. And then you look at Stutzel, who's, some people have him written off as a winger and some guys have him written as a center. But again, a guy that can definitely go in and change the, the way a franchise looks and can provide elites. He's an elite skater. He can definitely score, set up guys. Um, when looking at his uh, play in with uh, Germany versus Switzerland, uh, I think it was last week, he did look a bit disappointing. I didn't like the way he tried to do too much with the puck. He looked kind of lost at times and that indeed frustrated him a bit, but He's definitely a guy that I definitely have. He's definitely a guy that I've written at third. So, yeah, I completely agree with all of that. I mean, Byfield and Stutzel, I get why people would maybe want to put Stutzel ahead of him. There are his redeeming qualities there, and definitely he is more NHL ready of the two guys. Uh, he's been playing against men all year in Germany's DEL, had a great year for such a young guy. Um, Germany played a couple games over the past couple weeks. Uh, U20 tournament, I think, maybe U18, I can't remember, against Switzerland. Uh, looked okay. I get they've probably been off for a while, so maybe it wasn't the best indicator, and I'm not going to take stock into, you know, the two games he played. Uh, but yeah, Byfield. I like what you said. Huge guy, 6'4 at 17. Um, one heck of a two-way game for a guy his age. Uh, if we're ever going to see another, you know, as selkie dominant player uh, as Patrice Bergeron has been in his career, I think Byfield's as close to that as anyone's going to get. Um, and I like LA to pick him because, yeah, they have really good center depth already with uh, Turcotte and Velarde in the system. But are they going to replace Kopitar when he's gone? You don't know that for sure. Byfield's going to replace Kopitar. And not only that, he might be able to do what Kopitar did better. Because uh, Kopitar was quite the defensively responsible player in his heyday as well, too. Uh, but Byfield, man, just has the whole package. May not make the immediate impact that Stutzel might make. But Byfield is going to be a multiple trophy winner in this league. Uh, and he's one of those guys that's, he's going to take his team to a cup one day. Uh, yeah. As um, will Lafreniere, hopefully, but yeah. Um, yeah. Just to touch base on what Josh said, um, Byfield has every, in every zone, he makes an impact with the defensive zone. He uses his long stick to break up passes. His ability to transition the puck up the ice pretty fast. His skating is amazing um, for a guy, his size, his, He's able to get to top speed and his acceleration is great. He's able to cut back and create plays. Um, I think with Kopitar, maybe on the downfall a bit, um, he makes a very good argument for to go number two at um, the LA Kings. I think some people are saying Stutzel should go just because they do have the center depth, as Josh mentioned, with Turcotte and Velarde and maybe a guy who can step in quicker. I mean, Turcotte could make the NHL next, next year or the season after he's that good. I think I really enjoyed watching Stutzel. I think he would make a great one-two punch with Turk on the top pairing in a few years. I think that's why a lot of people on Twitter are saying Stutzel should go number two just because 
of his ability to play the wing or center. Um, if Ottawa did end up choosing Byfield at the number three spot, I think that's an absolute great pick. You can't go wrong there. Ottawa gets their definite number one future franchise centerman in Byfield. And then they have two other first round picks. Um, at five, I would like to see them pick uh, Jamie Drysdale just because him and him with a pairing of him and Shabbat would be absolutely amazing. Both guys that create can create offense and just drive the play. And then with their late 20s pick, I would like to see them just, I think for them, they just go based on what they need. Um, they have a ton of goalies. I don't think they need to go there. Um, they definitely need another forward. I could see them selecting Jack Quinn out of um, Ottawa 67s in the OHL, a guy who can come in and score a crap ton of goals. Yeah, I think he had 50-some-odd goals in the OHL this season. Or you could look at a guy like, if he's still available, I doubt he's available, but a guy like Seth Jarvis, that'd be incredibly lucky if he drops to 21, a guy who had a great season with Josh's hometown Portland Winterhawks. Um, just a ton of options at 21 as well. I think that's where um, they have them slotted in right now. Um, it's the future's definitely bright for those teams, and I'm excited to see what they do. Uh, I want to go back to the Byfield Stutzel conversation real quick. Um, when you look at the size difference, I mean, Byfield's got a four inch edge on Stutzel in terms of his height. And I don't really think that kind of size can be understated because you're talking about a gritty power forward who can bully guys and push them around, and he's going to have no issue doing that. Because while there are a lot of very talented players in the NHL, there are a lot of guys with some decent size. There are a lot of short guys too, especially with the way the game is played now. There is a lot of focus on speed and skill compared to size and raw power and Byfield has that raw power and I think that's going to be very important for him in his NHL career especially when you look back at last year's Stanley Cup finals Boston used to have a strong physical presence whenever they played teams in the playoffs they were really successful during that time and they had like a roster refresh over a couple of years where they changed the way that that team played the game and they shifted to more of a skill-based team while they're still good now, as a more skill-based team, we saw the downside of that in last year's finals because St. Louis came in and bullied Boston around a little bit like Boston used to do to other teams. They played more physically. They had that uh, edge in terms of uh, strength. So if I'm looking to draft a guy, I and mean, this is nothing against Stutzel, I'd rather take Byfield because not only can he produce, but you don't have to worry about him getting bullied when he gets uh, down near the net. Yeah, he's a guy that brings a little bit of everything. His size is definitely something that's going to help him in the long term. I mean, you just mentioned playoffs. He's a guy that might need one or two seasons to condition uh, to develop and everything, but he's that guy. He's that number one franchise centerman. He's that good. His size in the playoffs is something that's going to help him along the way. I mean, you, you definitely see the playoffs. It definitely becomes more physical, but with him in your lineup, I don't at least for me, if I'm skating alongside him, I definitely feel more safe. He's not a guy who's afraid to drop the gloves. He's really skillful. I just, he's the total package for me. And you look at his numbers from this past year playing with the Sudbury Wolves of the OHL, the Ontario Hockey League. In 45 games, he scored 82 points. That That's ridiculous. I mean, that's that's basically not 
he, I mean, he's eight points shy of a two points per game clip. Uh, and I know he, you know, it's the OHL. It's not like he's playing against professional players, but at the same time, you can't scoff at those numbers. That's just incredible. Yeah. Um, watching him last year, I think him and Perfetti were even in my opinion, just because they put out equal points. And I think they were both great players, but it, with his ability to put up 82 points in 45 games, just watching him all season from the get-go. Although I, I don't know what, he, I forget what he was out with, but his ability to almost put up two points a game is definitely something that is why he's number two at the draft um, on the NHL scouting set, NHL central scouting list. Yeah, and if I can just circle back to the Kings real quick, I've forgotten their center depth. Jarrett Anderson Dolan still exists. Uh, got into a couple games them this year. Looked okay. I don't think he got a point, but uh, he might be ready to go next year. And now since Velarde is hopefully healthy long term, he had a pretty good stint in the NHL this year as well. So you're looking at two guys maybe who are already, you know, kind of able to come in and replace the role that Jeff Carter was playing as a second line center that Jeff Carter really he, he isn't there anymore he's better suited for a wing position where he can kind of just be along for the ride uh, so if, you know as Matt said if Turcotte's ready to step in next year then you already have three guys there who are going to be fighting for playing time and Velarde, Turcotte, and Anderson Dolan uh, and do you really want to throw Byfield into that mix if you're not going to be able to give him all the opportunity? So it's certainly valid. And then Ottawa would, uh, uh, of course, I think actually be a better fit for Byfield in reality just because who else do they have? Colin White, he's great, but I don't want him as my first-line center long-term. So, yeah, certainly a very interesting debate, and we'll see how it shakes out. All right, so uh, next on our list of topics that we have put together for you, we're, we're sticking with the prospects team. The guy we haven't really talked much about uh, is the guy who is pretty much the consensus number one overall, Alexis Lafreniere. And uh, he had in it, you thought, Byfield's numbers in the OHL were insane. In Quebec Major Junior, he put up a whopping 112 points in 52 games, which is over that two, two points per game mark. Um, so the talent is very clearly there and is one of the best top prospects that we've seen over the last few years. Um, so I want to go, we look at the NHL draft lottery that they did uh, about a month ago, probably now. We don't know who the first overall pick is going to yet. We just know it's going to a team that is playing in the qualifying round right now. Uh, and they're going to do a separate lottery for that first overall pick. Um, so I wanted to throw it to you guys. Where do you think Lafreniere would be the best fit in one of those qualifying round rosters? Uh, so, Matt, I want to start with you since you're kind of our prospects guy. What do you think? Where is Lafreniere going to fit well? Um, I'm going to go the safe route. Um, as much as I dislike Montreal, I think he'd be a great fit. They definitely need that number one center guy, and he's a guy that can go in there and completely change the, the way the franchise is heading. He's, I'd say he's one of the most exciting first overall picks in the last few years, just the way – I think he was a very highly touted prospect, but I think he de his coming out was definitely at the World Juniors, just his ability. He got injured, but he came back and absolutely dominated just his way. He uh, plays with the puck. He made some defender look absolutely silly by banking it off the net and just circling back and throwing it out in front. But I'm going to go with Montreal just because 
they do lack that number one center. And although Montreal's media is pretty harsh, if he doesn't perform, I think hometown kid uh, from Quebec um, can go in there and hopefully maybe be a bit of a John Tavares coming home type of thing, maybe lead them to the playoffs in a few years. But yeah, that's my pick, Montreal. All right, Josh, we'll go to you. I'm going to rewind to go back to the beginning of this episode. I'm going to pick the Coyotes, even though I do like them uh, to pick Nashville, uh, to beat Nashville, that is, in the qualifying round. Uh, if they don't, for some reason, uh, that team needs something, anything to get them going. Like I said, you know, earlier, talking about just how stagnant that team is and how really, yeah, their roster looks a lot different under Chico, but not a whole lot has changed. They're still the mediocre team, aside from goaltending, that they always have been. Uh, and especially after Hall leaves, they're going to have really thin depth at both left wing and center. Uh, and Lafreniere is just, I think he might even immediately come in and be the best uh, goal scorer, and, you know, point man on that team. Yeah considering how poor Kessel's play was. Um, that's a bold call. I'll, you know, I'm not going to stand by that. But, yeah, Arizona needs that spark. Uh, just a very dry, bland team. And, you know, you're going to see how that effect works out next year for sure with, like, Kirill Kaprizov coming into Minnesota, a team that has a real system going but doesn't have that big weapon. Well, they have Kevin Fiala, but still. Um, Arizona needs a Kickstarter, and they need something to get themselves out of this very extended rebuild they've been in. Uh, and Lafreniere does just that. Even though they might make a playoff run this year, if they don't, it might even be in their better interest long-term at Lafreniere. So uh, as far as landing spots for them, I'm going to kind of – take a little detour here and head up to uh, the Big Apple, New York. But not the New York team you're probably thinking of. I'm going with the Islanders. Um, it might seem a little odd, but this team has performed very well under Barry Trotz. And you look at some of the players that they have on that roster, what's their forward group look like? You've got Matthew Barzal. Anthony Beauvillier is nothing to scoff at. Derek Broussard. He had his heyday, but now he's getting he's getting up there in age. He's not going to be a top tier player for much longer. He it's, it's questionable as to much how much longer he can potentially stay in the NHL. They really don't have a lot of firepower. The thing that has gotten them the level of success that they've had has revolved around their ability to play a good team game and great defense, which is Barry Trotz's specialty. And when you have strong goaltending from Varlamov and Grice. It helps, but they still need to be able to score, and that's something that they haven't been able to do. If we insert Lafreniere into that lineup, he could be a great complement to Barzell on the left wing. And that I don't see a reason why that couldn't get this team to the next level if they continue to play the way that they have done already. Just to wrap it up, a new thing that I kind of wanted to just maybe highlight a prospect every week. This week I wanted to highlight um, Seth Jarvis. He's a guy that um, I've been setting a lot of lately just his elites um, he's a guy that maybe was under the radar at the start of the season but his ability and the way he led the Portland Winterhawks with his elite skating ability finishing ability um, he has elite vision he can finish 
Um, I don't know his points. I don't have it pulled up right now, but he's a guy that I just wanted to show a little bit of love because he's a guy that's definitely going to go into whoever drafts him and uh, change the, the way that franchise works. Uh, yeah, Jarvis, it is not like the Portland Winter Hawks didn't put a team around him. He was definitely surrounded by some pretty great talent. Um, but you look at the year, you look at the 18-19 year he had with Portland. 39 points in 61 games. It's pretty good. Uh, definitely under the radar. Portland last year also had Cody Glass. Um who meant such an incredible amount to that team that I can't even begin to describe. Uh, and then when he turned pro this year, it ended up being Jarvis's team, and I didn't notice him. I thought it was going to be a Jake Grishis or Jaden DeRoe that would really take over for Portland this year, and that didn't happen. Seth Jarvis, uh, 98 points in 58 games. Absolutely incredible year for the team. Uh, and Portland looked like they just kind of picked up where they left off, despite losing probably the best player in the WHL uh, with Glass. They got some experience because I know he had some injury issues last year, and he went to Chicago of the AHL at the end of the year, and was with uh, with the national team at the World Juniors. Uh, so I, I guess Portland didn't get him for that much last year, but still. Uh, what Jarvis was able to do this year, kind of being the guy on the team where he wasn't really expected to be the guy. Uh, and I have a feeling that that is kind of what's just going to follow him throughout his career is he's going to be this sneaky little guy who may not end up being a first liner, but definitely going to be a top six talent in the NHL for sure. Uh, but yeah, look for, I'd say a nice comparables, maybe like a Kevin Fiala type guy. Maybe not breaking on right away, uh, but definitely if you're picking up Seth, if you're picking up Seth Jarvis, uh, you're not making a bad pick. Yeah, uh, when I was writing a prospect profile on him, I had him. I think just with my notes, I I would compare him to someone like Tyler Johnson. Just ooh, yeah, a higher upside of than Kevin Fiala. I think he's going to be better than that, but just his ability to show up when it's big and just you, you definitely, your hometown team with the Winterhawks, you saw the impact he made. Just his ability to be consistent on a nightly basis is definitely what caught my eye this season. Yeah, just stepping into that huge hole that Glass left. Uh, man, incredible feat for him this year, kind of being a guy that came out of nowhere. So good on him. And to wrap things up, I just wanted to – with a uh, live hockey back this past week, I just wanted to highlight a few guys that I thought had great series. There's a uh, first to start it off with Switzerland and Germany. Of course, Stutzel had looked like his, he had a great game games, my bad. And the one thing if I had to critique was he, oh, he looked like he tried too much. Just as when he had the puck on his stick, he looked like he was trying to create chances too much for his team. If you can dial that down a bit, then He's definitely going to be a great player. I really like the way um, John Jason Paterko or JJ Paterka played. Um, I think he might go at the end of the first round, but someone who has that um, elite finishing ability and someone who can definitely provide some value for a team. And then the last guy I wanted to touch on is a guy who's eligible next year's draft. Um, Swiss player Lorenzo Canonica, just a guy who started off the year on a great note, 
someone who might have elevated his name from a late second round pick to top of the second round for sure. I think he had um, five or six points in the series, just an absolute dominant player. And then with Slovakia and Czech Republic, I really liked the way Jarmir Pitlik played. Some people are mentioning him as a Leaf um, pick because of Dubis's connection to Sault Ste. Marie and just his ability to, again, be consistent on a nightly basis. He has great skating ability and just a, a guy who I see going in the third round, but someone who could bring that potential. Uh, a goalie, Nick Malik. Um, he played for the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds as well, but um, he's going to go back and play in the Czech Republic in the Czech League this uh, uh, next season. And someone who, in the second game, the game he played, he faced, I think, 22 shots, but he shut the door for a 4 nothing win and got the shutout. Um, his athleticism in that is something that is top of the class for sure. Um, the way he moves in the net, the way he tracks pucks in traffic, I really like his game. And then the one guy that I really wanted to touch base on was the captain, Jan Mysak. Uh, some people may know him from the Lake Mysak episode with Crank Button on Twitter, but a guy who came over from the Czech League and uh, played with the Hamilton Bulldogs in the OHL this past season. Someone who, some guys have him uh, late top, uh, late teens, but someone who I see maybe going around uh, 15 to 20 to be in the safe range. Uh, he looked absolutely incredible playing with Kaliev and uh, those guys in Hamilton, but someone who can definitely be something special down the road. Absolutely. And I'm sure they're all going to have some very successful NHL careers. Uh, but as we've, we all know, only time will tell. And not everyone makes it. We've, got, we've had plenty of top, highly touted prospects not make it at the NHL level. Um, so we'll have to, have to wait and see. But uh, over the next couple of years, we'll, uh, we'll watch their careers as they develop. Um, so with that said, that does it for episode three. And next week, we are actually bringing on a special guest with us. Uh, I'm going to leave it a little bit of a surprise. Uh, but uh, let's just say he's, he's played some hockey at a high level. So uh, make sure you stay tuned for next week. And uh, we're, we're going to have a special guest for you guys. And I think you're all going to enjoy it. Um, so do you guys have any closing thoughts on episode three? Um. He's yeah, the guy we're bringing on. He's a he's a good friend of mine. Someone who I've developed a good relationship over the past year. He's an incredible guy, and I look forward to bringing him on the pod next week. I'm hoping for everyone's sake, as I'm watching this game unfold, that Boston's trend of taking four penalties halfway into a game uh, doesn't continue. Because as much as I hate the Bruins, they're a good team, and I want to see a good team play hockey. <laughs> Yeah, and so I think we can all agree that we're glad hockey is back. So, uh, you know, yep. we finally got some pucks on ice, and uh, we get to watch some exciting action over the next couple of weeks. So, with that said, uh, thank you for tuning in to Episode 3 of Throwing Haymakers, and uh, hope you tune in again next Saturday. <laughs>